Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to National East Sponsored by FederalBaseball.com. This is Patrick Reddington from Federal Baseball. I've got Dave Nichols from Federal Baseball and Doghouse on the line. So this week, after the Nationals 5-2 win over the LA Dodgers in the nation's capital, they will start with the man of the day, Jose Lobatone. We kind of joked and laughed about the fact that Dusty Baker cited his 3-for-3 three three, uh, history against Rich Hill going into this game, considering that when I looked, the history was from 2012 and 2013. Uh, didn't look like a good decision, uh, considering he was one for 15 against lefties this year. Hadn't hit against lefties as a right-handed batter since uh, in over a month and a half, as he said after the game. And the fact that they went with Pedro Severino in the opener against Kershaw because of Severino's numbers against left-handers. But Jose Lobatone comes up big. Uh, he grounds into a double play to kill a rally the first uh, time up. Half inning after that, he misses a play at the plate, drops the ball on a throw home that probably could have gotten the runner, even though it was a little up the line and made him have to swipe the tag. But he comes up in the next inning, uh, next at bat at least, hits a three-run home run, but the Nats up 3-2 to two and what ends up a 5-2 win. Hit it into a stiff wind as well, as everyone noted after the game, but definitely got all of a hanging curve from Hill and put it out of there. So I guess Dusty Baker was right and we're wrong again. Yeah, small sample size be damned. I'm going to start Jose Lobaton every time he plays against Rich Hill at this point. Um, yeah, and it's, it's a good thing that Lobaton knew how to hit a, a low liner for a home run as opposed to hitting something majestic that would, would have gotten hung up in the wind and, and blown backwards. But um, we can joke all we want. Uh, Rich Hill hung a curveball. His curveball was, was, was goofing on several hitters today, um, most notably uh, a couple of the lefties. But uh, – he hung one there at the wrong time. Uh, Lobatone went up and got it and, and put a really good swing on it. And and you feel good when a career backup like that, a guy that's a career 230, not even 230, 226 hitter, um, comes up big in a situation like that for the team. It, it makes him feel good. It makes the team feel good. It makes the fan base feel good. And, and it's good for baseball that, that a lifer like that can have a moment in the sun on the national spotlight, uh, such that it was uh, with the Nats being forced to play uh, Sunday afternoon directly against the NFL, and and we'll now have to to fly and play for the second time in in 24 hours in the middle of the day on a Monday. Um, but that's a, a rant for for a different day. Good for Jose Lobaton. Good for the Nats. Nats win. But uh, let's go get Game Three now. Good news, I guess, today is that uh, Boston and Cleveland got rained out. So for some reason, that moves the national team to four o'clock tomorrow. I think there was a chance of them playing earlier in the afternoon, which would have been tough, but. Yeah. Well, I guess it's one in L.A. for it here, whatever. Maybe it didn't move at all. I'm just making things up at this point. So, like I was, uh, Daniel Murphy talked about how big a hit that was for Jose Lobaton just because it was a massive swing of momentum and a massive swing of the bat. He said, I can't speak to how big it is because we're down all day on game one. Uh, Corey Seager again today gets us in the first inning to give L.A. a one nothing lead. And then for Jose to come uh, to get that flash right there and put us out in front, it gave us a chance to extend the lead. And the first time in the series we were able to play from in front instead of behind, the Nationals go on to get the win after that. Uh, you could definitely – I was sitting a little separated from the crowd, but you could tell the crowd kind of picked up after that too. It really got everyone going there. And not that they were quiet beforehand, but Jose Lopezon really kind of sparked everything there with that blast. Yeah, it's interesting when I went and looked back later at the, at the WPA, the, the two highest WPA plays on the night were both Jose Lobaton, one negative, one positive. 
so I, I had the hash brown narrative all set in my head uh, after that GDP to end the, the second. Uh, and you could tell it was sort of replaying for everyone, especially on that, that missed tag at the plate. Well, I guess the, the missed catch the plate for that, the tag in the, in the second Dodgers run. Uh, everyone was thinking, you know, here we go again. And the, the crowd was into it, but there, you could sort of sense the mounting dread. And when it turned around, after that, that hit, and wow, uh, that, that was not really a low liner. He hit that ball pretty high, and I was pretty sure it was going to get knocked down, no matter how fast it looked off the bat, but uh, I shudder to think how far back that would have landed if, uh, if the wind hadn't been blowing in as hard as it was today. You know, that, that's one that could have made a try for the concourse. And uh, it, it really changed the energy of the, of, of the game, of the crowd. You know, up on the upper deck, people were, were standing, cheering, shouting. Uh, <clears throat> fans of a certain age who were sitting in front of me were, were heckling the opposing pitcher most unkindly. Uh, it, was, it was really heartwarming. Speaking of that opposing pitcher, Rich Hill, uh, we remember, I remember him from the brief time in the Nationals organization a few years back. Uh, the uh, <laughs> Dodgers. The Dodgers acquired him from the A's. I shouldn't read while I'm trying to talk. I should know that by now. Uh, they acquired him along with Josh Reddick on August 1st. Uh, two earned runs are less than five out of six uh, starts since he joined the Dodgers. A 183 ERA, 182, 213, 248 line against, and 34 innings pitch for LA. He's essentially a two pitch pitcher, which is just makes it even more difficult. But uh, held opposing hitters to a 180 line on his curveball this year, 212 on his fastball, uh, just seven Ks and three scoreless today before Lobaton hit that home run. And I don't know exactly how Rich Hill does it. Uh, didn't last long today, but he's, he's been put together an impressive run for the Dodgers here. The Nationals were able to get to him, but still uh, an impressive run for a mid-30s guy who was kind of on the outs and switched back to starting just a few years back. Yeah, you know, Rich Hill is really an interesting story because he was a, he was a much heralded prospect. Came up, uh, you know, with the Cubs and and was very good for a while, and then uh, got hurt and got hurt again and got hurt again, and then tried to resurrect his career. Went to the minor leagues, and like you said, he spent some time in the Nats organization, and then kind of had a breakthrough with with Boston. Um, it, it continued that with Oakland, has continued it with the Dodgers, and you're right, he's a two-pitch pitcher. And the difficult thing about facing a curveballer, especially a guy that throws curves as much as he does, is that when, when, he's, when he's getting good break on it, um, you see it over and over and over again, and you still can't time it. Um, and then he sneaks a 91, 92-mile-an-hour fastball in on your hands, or, or, or high like he was doing today, and and guys are just coming out of their shoes to try to swing at it. They're like, oh my god, a curveball! I got to swing. I mean, a fastball! I got to swing, and they can't catch up to it because they've been trying to time the curveball. So it's really difficult or difficult thing to do when he throws just as many curveballs as he does. If a guy has a curveball and throws it once or twice an inning, it may have a big deal. But when he's got it and he's throwing it just as much as the fastball, it, it, it's tough because you're trying to time the curveball, trying to time the curveball, and then the fastball beats you. So this is how. Um, how he has success today, um, yeah, but his, his, his problem has always been throwing walks. Uh, with a curveball, sometimes you're in the strike zone, sometimes you're not. Uh, sometimes that by, it's by design, and sometimes it's not. Um, today he didn't have a whole lot of whole lot of walks, but 
Um, but he did he did tire out, and whether that's uh, pitching in the wind or or the cir- circumstances or, or what they were, um, you know. But but he 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 had a walk. He hit Espinosa, so he was running out of gas, and then and then couldn't finish that curveball to Robitone. So it was just kind of fortuitous that, that he tired at the same time. Because frankly, you know, if they walk Robitone. That forces, um, you know, Dusty Baker to, to, to pinch it. And I think uh, Dave Roberts probably thought, ah, we'll, we'll pitch to Lobotone here instead of fi- finding the pinch hitter. Uh, good decision turns out for the Nats. Yeah, I was just surprised looking at his, uh, his splits of what he uses. Doghouse, uh, 42.4% curveballs, 47.2% fastballs, uh, mixes the slider in there occasionally, but not all that much. Change up 1.8% of the time, a slider 8.6%. Like Dave said, it's just a timing thing. It's a slow curve, a real big arc to it, too. And uh, from where I was sitting watching on TV for the most part, uh, just trying to get the best look that I could of what was going on, it seemed like he was getting a little bit of a help from the ump. I don't think it was just one way. I think he was pretty bad both ways for the early innings there, at least. And uh, just tough for the Nationals to try to get that. Jose Lobaton managed to absolutely crush one, but that was not the norm today. No. Uh, although i got to say, I, I could tell the difference between his fastball and his curveball pretty easily from the upper deck, so I don't know what the problem was with the Nats hitters. You know, I, if I could do it, come on. No, uh, he, he did get a lot of help from uh, home plate umpire Chris Guccione today. Uh, I went back and looked at the pitch FX data uh, because, I, you know, it, it's not like I, no matter how I front, I don't have the best idea of the strike zone from where I am on the upper deck, uh, but it did look awfully high, and it was. Uh, it was consistently awfully high and weirdly outside to right-handed hitters, uh, which was much more of an issue for the Nats because I think the Dodgers only had one or two in the lineup all day. I guess Tweed came into uh, later and then uh, Turner. Uh, but, yeah, there were some heinous strike calls on uh, uh, outside and high uh, of course, if you're going to get it, you know, keep going after it because these, these are pitches like up, not quite at the eye, but let's say, let's say at at the letters or a little higher, uh, they're getting called for strikes, uh, and heck, you can get a strike there. Keep throwing it there. Uh, he, he did, and uh, I noticed a few Nats pitchers chirping about it, and I think uh, with uh, no small amount of justification. Dave, the Dodgers have to absolutely be tired of seeing Daniel Murphy at this point. Uh, last year, five-game series against them, uh, seven for 21, doubles, three home runs, five RBIs, just three strikeouts uh, so far this series after a three-for-three day today. I think he was three-for-three. Let me just say yeah, three-for-three with a walk. Three-for-three with a walk. He's now four-for-seven against the Dodgers. Drove in the other two runs the Nationals scored today. Uh, Dodgers manager Dave Roberts talked about that. He said, you know, uh, especially in the postseason, he doesn't go out of the zone. He really stays in the strike zone. By the way, to use the whole field, uh, left on left, right on left, it really doesn't matter. In situations you, you want to not let him beat you, uh, I still want to take my chances. Uh, sorry, I'm just giving around what he said here. Uh, he just said he put the good at bat together no matter what. He took a one-two pitch that was close and found a way to hit the breaking ball to center field. He's calm under pressure. So we have to try to do a better job of getting him out. I think he's speaking for the whole league, essentially, at that point. I'm just uh, as amazed as I've been with what he's done uh, last year and done so far this season with the Nationals. The uh, fact that he could take two-plus weeks off, come back here, and you know, collect four hits in his first seven at that back from a butt-hawk injury uh, just continues to impress me every day, Daniel Murphy going out there. 
But yeah, I was going to make a joke, but Ock. I was going to make a joke about uh, it's not worth talking about Daniel Murphy because he just does the same things over and over again and, and, and really don't need to talk about it. But we really should because it's remarkable. He, he's the type of he, – he's a remarkable type of hitter because he, he doesn't walk, right? He swings at, at, on every at-bat. He swings at, at, at everything. Uh, but he seems to have a good approach at swinging at everything, right? He, he, he always, uh, you know, seems to have a good approach. He always seems to – um, not try to do too much. He's not swinging for the fences. He's got he's got home run power, and he'll try to turn on one on occasion. But he'll go the other way. He'll look to try to take the ball back up the middle. He, he's looking to get the, the bat on the ball, um, and that that's a, a vastly different approach than than three quarters of this team. Um, and some guys that I, w- I won't mention further, Danny Espinosa, um, <laughs> will go up and try to dial for the downs. And 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 I think this was a um, it was it was a a concerted effort by Rizzo during last off season to try to find guys to put the bat on the ball more often. Uh, the, the Ben Revere didn't work out as well, but the Daniel Murphy certainly did. Um, he's fun to watch hit. He continues to have success. Uh, he's far and away the Nationals' offensive MVP um, for the entire season. Trey Turner might have been the offensive MVP for the last two months, but, but this team would be um, probably not be in the playoffs if it were not for Daniel Murphy's performance the entire season. Daniel Murphy, a team player that he is, like I talked about, the fact that more important than his hits was the fact that there was traffic on base before he got out there. He said there was traffic already out there. Uh, Trey Turner gets a base hit up the middle. Bryce Harper works a really good at bat after Trey, steals the base, and Harper's able to shoot the ball in the 5-6 hole off the ridge. I'm not sure what that means, but uh, he said I've never faced Rich Hill before during stage. Um, but he's an unpleasant bat from the left uh, bat from a left-handed perspective. Uh, J Dub takes a really good pass and just misses, and unfortunately, I'm able to put that ball in play. And then J Dub comes back with the next at bat with two outs and hammers a double. He cuts the wind too and short off the wall. Uh, he smoked that ball. I think maybe on a fair day, it's out of the ballpark. But more importantly, there are runners on for him. Uh, Danny Espinosa to get a high pitch there too uh, before Jose Lobo comes at bat to get two people on at that point too. And, Something the Nationals didn't do in the first game was come through when they did get runners on, but in, in each instance they scored tonight, they had people on and were able to catch them in. Yeah, it was, I, and just let me say that I, I love watching post-game interviews with, uh, with Daniel Murphy, and I think we could save a lot of time writing post-game articles if we just took his verbatim transcript when he answers the question and replaced the nicknames with the full names and take out some of the baseball jargon, because he, he's... He went to some kind of postgraduate class in uh, in baseball interviewing and humility there. Uh, yeah, coming through with uh, cashing in the runners was very gratifying. Tonight it was basically the flip side of, of uh, Friday's game, where it was what the, I think the Dodgers scored two and stranded nine or ten or eleven maybe, uh, versus the, the the Nats the previous game scored two and stranded eight or nine something like that, but. You know that that's that's just the the luck of the bat of gods and how it falls in. Uh, we've we've had this conversation a lot of times. Teams tend to score over time about 27 percent of all runners, so keep putting runners on, and eventually they'll come around. Uh, that's not something you can really wait for in uh, in a short series like a playoff. But uh, as much as we'd like to believe that it's possible, you can't score the runners on purpose. <laughs> The, the sequence either happens or it doesn't. Tonight it happened, and I'm, and I'm often glad it did. Dave, before we wrap up, um, 
be remiss if we didn't mention Tanner, mention Tanner, Tanner Roark in the bullpen. Uh, Roark allowed two earned runs or less in six of his last seven, 216 ERA and 41 and two thirds over that stretch, a 189, 293, 280 line against. Uh, six hits, three earned runs, and nine in a third innings pitched when he faced, not, not seven in a third, I'm sorry, when he faced the Dodgers, Dodgers in LA in June. Uh, as we mentioned, Corey Seager got him again, a home run in his first at bat. Uh, 3-0 fastball up, in, up high in the zone, and he just killed it again, and he continued to be impressed by Corey Seager. Uh, a walk and two singles in the third. Uh, Justin Turner scores to make it 2-0 on that play at the plate we discussed. Uh, after he put two on in the fifth, he was done, at which point Dusty Baker turned to the bullpen. Mark Zetchinski, <laughs> Sammy Solis, uh, Blake Trinan, Oliver Perez, Mark Melanson combined to hold the Dodgers off the board and hold them just one hit after uh, Roark was done for the day. Uh, not the best item from Roark, but a really strong showing by the bullpen. Yeah, I wrote a lot about the bullpen in my post-game piece, so I won't talk a whole lot about him, but just to say that uh, um, they did a great job. Dusty Baker did a great job managing them today. Um, Roark, not particularly good. Uh, it, it seemed like he was um, pitching backwards from, from how he normally does uh, early in the game. He was going to uh, the breaking ball a lot more instead of using his fastball to set it up. It looks like he was trying to use the breaking ball to set his fastball up, and it just it looked like he didn't didn't – it looked like he was trying to pitch to a game plan instead of pitching to his strength. I'll, I'll say it that way. Either way, wasn't particularly effective. I mean, Ten base runners and four and a third. He was damn lucky to be able to hold it to, to two runs. The, the Dodgers were suffering from um, from their uh, you know lobs and and, and risks uh, as the Nats were in, in game one. So um, lucky. Uh, uh, he, he made a couple of good pitches when he needed to, but for the most part, um, the Nats were fortunate that they were still in the game by the time that uh, that Baker came for the hook. And then uh, the bullpen, just exemplary. I mean, uh, Scrabble had, had a couple of walks, yeah, but he made a big pitch to get out of that uh, um, to get out of the uh, bases loaded one out thing. Um, Blake Trinan, you still can't say enough good things about him. And, and then it's great to have a closer that you feel completely comfortable in coming into a three-run game at the end. I'll argue with you on the completely comfortable thing. I wasn't comfortable until the last out was uh, registered, regardless of who was on the mound. But the Nationals did get the win. Hopefully they're on their plane and on the way to L.A. already. Just a quick turnaround. Four Eastern tomorrow. Gio Gonzalez against Kenta, Kenta Maeda in the third game of the NLBS. Even now, one-to-one, game three tomorrow afternoon. We'll talk to you guys after that one. Go Nets. <laughs>